bless you. Why don't you just join with me in a word of prayer? Let's pray and ask God to open our hearts and minds. Father, we thank you that you are present. Lord, when we come to church, you're, here, you're already here waiting for us. Lord, so when we ask that you would come, it's just that you'd make us aware of you, that our hearts and our minds, our eyes, our ears, uh, our spirits would be made alive and aware of you in, in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we started a series, actually just kind of introduced uh, the series. We're going to really start it today and look at um, the idea of advancing the kingdom of God in our lives. <clears throat> and it's a series about understanding what we as individuals and as a church are called to. And also, uh, uh, my intention is to share ways that we can accelerate it. To, to accelerate the kingdom of God in our lives, to speed up um, uh, the works of God or the working of God, the uh, implementation of His rule and His reign in our lives. And we looked at uh, Matthew 6, verse 33, which is, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you, and that's the, the text of, of last Sunday's message. It's very clear, you know, Jesus wasn't ambiguous um, in telling his disciples what their priorities were to be. You know, Jesus wasn't shy uh, in explaining to them, hey, this must be your first priority in life. And he told it to them clearly and he expected them to follow it. <clears throat> And we, we examined what that verse meant. And today we're going to start with Hebrews 11, verse 6. So if you turn there or look at the verse up on the screen, we're going to read out, out of the New King James. It says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And so here we have this same word, seek, again, uh, used in a different passage. And the word diligently seek means to search out. It means to investigate. It means to crave or demand. And it's the same, it's, a, it's actually a, a form of the, it's a, a version or a different form, different usage of the same root word that Jesus used when he said, seek first the kingdom of God. And I don't know about you, but when I hear the word crave, That means something different than seek. All right? You can go to the refrigerator and look, see if there's anything in the, in the fridge to eat. You know, I'm looking for something to eat. Or you can sit there and crave. You know, nachos. Huevos uh, rancheros. It must be Mexican this morning. <laughs> You can crave chocolate cake or ice cream, right? What happens when you crave something? You're thinking about it. You can't stop thinking about it. Ugh. You try to think about something else and it comes back. You picture it in your mind. You try to dismiss it, but it comes back. You can almost taste it. And then you do something. You go to the store. How many have gone to the store just because they were hungry for something? Come on, every one of us. 
Or you made your spouse go to the store. That's what you did. <laughs> you know, the word that Jesus used and the word that's used here in Hebrews is not passive acceptance. It's passionate pursuit. Diligently seek. Not only crave, but demand. You know, when you put a demand uh, upon the Lord, when you seek first the kingdom of God, you're actually demanding of God and you're demanding in your life, you're demanding in your circumstances that the kingdom would come, that God's rule would be established. Uh, you, uh, uh, You diligently seek and yet you believe that God in Hebrews here is a rewarder of those who diligently seek. Not passively accept, but diligently seek. And there's a truth we learn in Ephesians chapter 2 that faith is a gift. And I'm going to read this and kind of hopefully get this in, in a proper perspective. Uh, it says, for by grace, chapter 2, 8 and 9, says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You know, that this is an undisputed uh, theological fact, okay? Faith is a gift. It's something that you don't earn. Nothing you could do could ever atone for sin. All right? Nothing you can do can make up for even the smallest one of your sins. Only the blood of Christ. And even our ability to accept forgiveness is because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. You your ability to accept that. You wouldn't even be able to do that if it wasn't for the act, the work that Jesus accomplished and that that was given. That was a, that's a gift. But an overemphasis on what God has done can lead, and I would say has led, to a gross underemphasis on what God calls us to do. All right? An overemphasis uh, on what God has done can lead to or has led to an underemphasis of what God has called us to. It's really a misunderstanding of what God has accomplished in that free gift of grace. And we need to come into an understanding, a right understanding. Why? So that we can experience the fullness of what God has done for us, that we can step into it, that we can realize it, that it can come into reality in our lives only by understanding and, and, and pursuing it and understanding what our part is. It's, we don't make up for what Jesus did. We don't add to the cross in any way. That's ridiculous. You can't. But what Jesus accomplished at the cross calls us to do something. And in Hebrews, it says those who diligently seek after him. Uh, God's free gift uh, doesn't just bring us out of sin. It brings us into his kingdom. All right. Oh, can I have your attention? Try to apply this to your life. You know, many Christians, myself included, so much of our Christianity is spent. How can I get out of sin? How can I get free from this sin or that sin or this temptation or that temptation, the results of this sin, the consequence of this sin? You know, what if we spend our whole life thinking that way and we find out in the end, God says, you are already out. 
You're trying to get out of something I set you free from. And we miss the, what God says. This is that we're supposed to be kingdom focused. All right, we're already out of that by faith in Christ. Jesus accomplished it. Jesus said it's finished. And he's translated, it says in Colossians chapter 1, 13, it says, He has, past tense, delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us. Another translation says, translated us, you know, uh, 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 transported us, <laughs> to sci-fi, <clears throat> into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. We've already been translated or conveyed into this kingdom. It's about kingdom living. And what does kingdom living mean? What, what, what should it look like? Uh, <clears throat> and then we go back to this verse in Ephesians chapter 2, that the whole theology and the understanding of salvation by, by uh, grace and that faith is a gift is built on. We look at the next verse, verse 10, and it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God... Pre- prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, grace and faith doesn't exempt us from doing stuff. All right? From behaving differently. From extent, it enables us. All right? It puts us in the position. It puts you in the position where you can change your world. God is looking for world changers. Think about it. Jesus on the mount before he ascended, just his, his smallest group of followers there, says, go into all the world and turn it upside down. And it's happening. Did they have the resources? No. Did they have the training? No. They hardly had the faith. They just did it. The Holy Ghost came on them. And the world's different. Radically different. The whole world's different because 12 guys said, yeah, let's do it. And told the others. And told others. And told others. And now it's your turn. Kingdom living. It's about having this understanding that we've been translated. We're free from sin. And we can live righteously and establish His kingdom. Uh, understanding this, <clears throat> what we're called to, and this idea of diligently seeking um, means that our works and what we do are the fruit of or the outcome of what God has already done. All right? It's a response to being in the right relationship. It's not a means to right relationship. It's not the method or the way we earn God's favor, but it's a result of being in God's favor. And it surprises me <clears throat> that how often we still struggle, you know, even people who believe this to be true, We'll, we'll have difficulty in like, well, I don't want to do this because, uh, you know, I don't want to try to earn my salvation. Like, ah, that's not even a question. You couldn't earn it if you tried. We're called to do this as a response. Or, <clears throat> you know, people that, you know, are, where's your motivation in life? Where's your motivation to reach the lost, to live righteously? To live in a way that reproduces God's rule and reign. That affects your family and your community, your workplace. What's the motivation? Well, that motivation comes out of realizing the magnitude of God's free gift. And how much that means and how it can transform 
how you think, how you respond. And that we're called, that that grace is to produce work. Grace is meant to produce work. Work does not produce grace. Grace produces works. Ephesians 10. For we were created, right? We are His workmanship, created for good works. We're to work this out in our lives. So we need to understand this. Hebrews 6, the verse that we started with, defines what faith is. Uh, it's another one of there's a few verses in, in scripture. I think it, it makes a great definition, definition, or we can from this verse kind of extract out uh, from it what faith means. And one, it says, um, without faith, it's impossible to please God for he who comes to God must believe that he is. First of all, you have to believe that he exists. All right. Is that a little too hard to understand? <laughs> you know, you must believe in the existence the real existence of a personal God. And this is not just that a God uh, uh, exists somewhere, maybe. This is the God of the Bible. Right? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God that Jesus represented. That he is person. We need to have a belief. Faith is beginning, I believe he exists. All right? And then it believes something about him. That he is a rewarder. And that he is a rewarder. This is an integral aspect of our faith. God is a rewarder. He gives out prizes. Let's just think about that. You know, of all the things that the writer of Hebrews could have chose to be the one characteristic that he bases his whole argument on, he chooses this. Huh. This is not like a minor secondary oh and by the way you know if you do everything good you'll get a you'll get a prize no this is an essential attribute of the person of god equated here with his very existence <laughs> he's a gift giver right what's your gift going to be are you dreaming are you making a list? Come on. Why not? See, most people think God is a punisher. I believe that God is, and he's a punisher of those who do wrong. If that's your faith, you don't have faith. Or your faith is lacking. Because the primary thing that God is, according to this verse, is that he's a rewarder. He's a rewarder. Are you, are you dreaming about your gift? Why not? Do you, know, do, you know the, do you know the God I know? The God I know is extravagant. On Christmas, you can't even get in the room. There's so many gifts, you get tired opening the presents. You come back later. <laughs> All right? <clears throat> God is a giver. Uh, we, have to, we have to grasp that. And, 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 and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, I'm going to 
this, this applies to us, but it's also part of the gift. Biblical faith has in it the hunger, the craving, the demanding, the passionate pursuit for his kingdom. He puts in us both the will and to do of his good pleasure. All right. And so this is something that he imparts when we come into a relationship with him. There is a hunger, but we need to accept that. And we need to uh, we need to cultivate a hunger and a diligently seeking a putting uh, him first in our lives. Now, how you implement that in your life is going to be personal. All right. It's going to be personal. And there's many ways we're going to talk in the next couple of weeks about some practical things. But we need to understand on a, on a big picture scale that, that actually changing our behavior and transforming the way we live and what we do is an integral part of accelerating the things of God. Because if you're passive, you're not going to push the gas pedal down. All right? God wants you to be passing, not passive. <laughs> All right? Come on. <clears throat> and I want, I want to see this. And, and there are things uh, uh, that we can do to accelerate the kingdom of God in our lives. There are things we can do that speed up God's purposes and plans in our lives. And, and, and the first thing that we can do that I want to talk about mostly about this morning is, is that we have to believe that. We have to believe that we can do something, not only that it's possible... But it's our responsibility. I'm going to read a portion from Second uh, Peter chapter three through ten. Think about this. This is written by Peter, uh, the very Peter that walked with Jesus Christ. He says, "But the day of the Lord will come." Uh, he's speaking uh, really in the context is about the return of Jesus at the end times. He says, "But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise." <laughs> And the, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Everybody excited? Nevertheless, according to his promise, look for the new heavens. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, we're people of promise, look for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blemish. Peter asks this question, and in the NIV it puts it this way, in verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? How should you be living? If this is going to be the result, if this is the end game, what kind of people ought you be? And you know, this sounds scary when you read that. You know, everything's going to be on fire, everything's going to melt. You might go, oh, I don't know about that. I'm actually looking forward to it. All right? Because injustice will end in the world. All right, right now, Christians are being killed because they're Christians in Nigeria. Like to the point where the government has, has uh, declared martial law. That's going to end when Jesus comes back. Oh, look, we have guests. Why don't you welcome the jam class? Hey, hi, guys. Come on up. 
So they're learning about church and how in different areas of church uh, people serve. And so, uh, kids, I'm serving and I'm helping by teaching from the Bible things about life, right? And, and these people, all these people here, they're helping by listening <laughs> and hearing. Because if I came and taught, but they, wa- they weren't here, I- I'd just be wasting my time. <laughs> so it's a big help. All right? Plus they worship and they sing songs and we, get it, uh, we worship God and it changes uh, how, how we live because we encounter God. But there's other things. There's people up in the sound booth. They're serving by adjusting the volume of stuff and our cubicles back there and there's computers back there and people do all the typing and, and your handouts all get done there and then there's family room. There's all kinds of stuff that happens in here because we're here to help one another. All right? All right. Thanks for coming in. See you later. Aren't they cute? Little hug on the way. He didn't let go of the rope. (laughs) I do believe I was talking about fire and brimstone. (laughs) No, it's... uh, it's a, a bringing of justice and the established because we, we are people of promise and we look for the righteousness. We look for the new heavens and new earth because we know that that's promised. He's going to come and cleanse, but the result of that is going to be a renewed earth. <clears throat> and how should, his question is, how should you live? And he answers his own question. He says, you ought to live holy and godly lives. In other words, your character, how you live should be modeled. You should be the reproduction of Christ on the earth, representing God uh, in, in everything you do in every way. And secondly, that you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming in the NIV. Speed its coming. Looking for and hastening literally means living in anticipation of and to, to speed or to urge on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the, to be diligent here in doing this is a little different word than, than what's uh, used earlier. It says, but it, it means to use speed, literally to accelerate, to hasten, to make haste, and to exert oneself. So the, the Bible challenges us to live with this expectation in preparation for the Lord's return. And in doing so, we can actually speed up. I think this applies in two ways, right? You can speed up the manifestation of Christ in your life. You can increase the speed by which the kingdom of God is revealed in your life. And the second thing it means is that you can hasten the literal return of Christ's return uh, when Jesus comes back. That the activity and the faith level and and the diligence of the church worldwide pursuing the things of God has a direct effect on when Christ can come back. All right. And I'm not making this up. Some theologians disagree with this, but there's a lot of them that agree. I agree with this scripture. (laughs) All right. It says we can hasten. We can speed up. And I think, you know, this refers, in one sense, there's a whole theology called the now and not yet uh, nature of God's kingdom. It's now, 
Many times in Scripture, the kingdom is now, but then there's this sense of it's not yet because Christ is going to return and we're going to see it in the fullness. So we, you know, the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our expectation. What's earnest mean? It's the de- deposit. You know, it's the money down. We get a portion now, but we're waiting for the full payment. The kingdom is now, all right? But it's not yet. There's a fullness that's coming. So how we respond to the now aspect of it will, one, it, it does determine uh, a, a lot of how your, your existence will be in the not yet part. But you get to play a role in it. That you get to play a role. And I believe that each one of you has a role that, that nobody else can uh, substitute for. All right? God's created each one of us with a gift and a calling and a responsibility that you have to do your part. And if you don't, nobody can make that up. God's will will be done. He's sovereign. There's no question about that. Nothing is out of his control. This is his plan. (laughs) This is according to his will. All right? This is not in any way questioning the sovereignty of God. It will happen. Right? The question is, will you get in on your part? The part that he portioned for you. The reward that he want, the prize that he wrapped. Looking forward to the look on your face when you unwrapped it. All right? This is what I'm talking about. And, and the Bible says that we can accelerate that, that we can make it come quicker, that we can see God's kingdom, his presence uh, be established within our lives. And we even might be able to hasten God's return so that children are not abused anymore, so that uh, the innocent are not uh, uh, killed anymore, so that people are not uh, uh, bought and sold in slavery anymore, so that, that, that people don't go to sleep hungry uh, day in and day out anymore. You know, I want to see those things end. I want to see uh, uh, cheating end and lying and, and betrayal end. All right? When is that going to end? When Christ comes back and establishes righteousness on the earth. When is that going to be? I don't know. But God says, by living this way, we can accelerate it. We can accelerate the experience of it in our life. And we can accelerate it for the whole world. Are you willing to be those people that live in a way that accelerate the kingdom of God? Jesus said, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And a lot of, a lot of us under, misunderstand this, this uh, prayer. This is not a confession of passive acceptance. That's how I was taught. When I was young, that God do this, God do this, God do this, but your will be done. We want this, we need this, we want this, but nevertheless, Lord, your will be done. As though all these things that you tell us to pray about, you know, doesn't really matter because it's just your will going to be done. That's fatalism, and it's called Christian fatalism. We believe in God, but ultimately everything's already predetermined. No matter what we do, it doesn't really matter. Right? That is not the biblical Christianity. Jesus didn't say, you know, just pray, God, whatever you want, let it be done. He said, pray this. Kingdom, come! Will, be done! All right? It's a, it's a command. It's intercession. It's not confession. 
you pray it as though you have the authority. Why? Because God, Jesus said, I give you the authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go. What do we do? We go establish his kingdom. We go into a place and say, kingdom, come. Will be done. <laughs> and you believe you have the power. And you allow it first to affect your life. And then it can affect the lives around you. And you pray it. And you pray it. And you keep praying it. Until it happens. Until you see people living in love. And peace. And joy. And righteousness. And gentleness. And kindness. Right? And goodness. And self-control. Until you see those things. And you keep praying. And you command. Because you know what His kingdom is. You know what His will is. And you... If Jesus wouldn't tell you to pray that if he didn't mean it. All right? He wouldn't say, go pray this, but it really doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't change the world. Wow. Say that again. <laughs> I've, I've actually been saying this for at least two months, and no one's got it. <clears throat> I've been trying to work this in. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't change the world. Okay, so any time in your life, you know, well, I did this, I know it's wrong, but it really doesn't matter. That's not going to change the world. God's called us to change the world. Why? Because the world needs changing. Amen. We can live in our nice suburb, suburban lives and, and maybe pretend it doesn't. But listen, there's people dying out there. There's people that are lonely. People that are crying. And God loves each and every one of them. And I want to see this world change. God told us to pray this because we are his agents of change. Kingdom come will be done. The next thing, give us our daily bread. You know, we don't expect that to be fulfilled in some theoretical way, do we? God, theoretically, give me bread. We want some food. <laughs> when? Uh, like today. So we should think the same way about kingdom coming. Not someday in the by and by, but daily, right now. All right? And listen, in your life, a big part of how you apprehend that kingdom establishment in your life is up to you. When you say kingdom come, we don't just say, okay, God, do it. No, no, no. He told you to go. Right? He already came as an example. And so accelerating the kingdom of God is putting this into place, making it work. And applying it to our lives, believing it uh, um, for ourselves, for our families, for our cities, for our nation. So we need to believe that we can, uh, uh, believe God and believe that we can. The, the first thing that we need to do, I forgot my point. Ah. What's the point, Cameron? We need to believe it's possible and it's our responsibility. Believe it's by the second thing is that we need to know the season. Let's just talk a little bit about seasons. Because I only have three minutes left. You know, the seat everybody notice, you know what? This is a weird season, isn't it? Normally it's cold now. <laughs> Some people still think it is. But I'm like, man, I'm riding my bicycle. I'm riding my motorcycle. This is great. <laughs> and I'm happy for it. And so seasons come, seasons go. There's seasons in life. And, uh, you know, there's winter, there's spring, there's summer, there's fall. And you can, you can probably pretty easily come up with the parallels of those in a spiritual uh, setting. Uh, you know, winter, a time where everything looks dead. 
it's not really, but it feels that way, and you, 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 you know, you pull back, or summer the time to be out and having fun, spring the time for new growth. Uh, all the seasons have different things, and, and, and there are seasons in life, there are seasons in the church, there are seasons in the community. <clears throat> Jesus rebuked the uh, uh, Hebrew scholars because he said <clears throat> in Matthew sixteen three, he says, in the morning, uh, it'll be foul, you'll, you can say it'll be foul weather today. For the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites. He called them hypocrites because they know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. So he, he was like, man, you guys don't even know what time it is. What was he talking about? He wasn't talking whether it was summer, winter, or fall. He was talking that this is the time of visitation. This is the time that, that your whole nation was created to experience. And you're missing it. The book you study, this is the fulfillment of it. And you're missing it. Listen, if they could do it, do you think maybe we can do that? We can miss the coming of Christ in our life. You know, not the ultimate return, but when His kingdom is established. Because we're not aware of the season. But let me tell you something about seasons. <clears throat> Two things. God can change your season. Because people get in a season. They go, oh, it's just, I'm in this season of, of dryness. I'm in a season of drought. I'm in a season of discouragement. You know, I'm just in this season. And, and, and not all the time. Sometimes God says, you're going to be in that season for a while, but I'll be with you. And that's the thing. We can learn that. But often, we kind of get comfortable. We camp out there. Well, this is just the way I've, I've learned to live. You know, it's like the person who lived through the Depression and then ended up having millions of dollars, you know, and never spent a dime of it and wore the same pants every day and everybody thought they were poor because they just lived in this. All right? Are you hearing me? <clears throat> you, God can change us. Jesus was able to change the weather, Right? When he calmed the storm, just by a word. I believe not only can God change the season, but I believe ultimately it's, most, it's often, if not most often, up to you. That you can change the season. Jesus changed the weather. Jesus said, you're going to do greater works than this. All right? Hey, if this can happen in the natural, don't you think it can happen in the spirit? Last year, about this time, uh, in February, it's the end of February. It was the worst storm. Remember that big snowstorm? And it hit Chicago and it shut down all the airports. <clears throat> it was a year ago, right? Yeah, but that was the beginning of February. It was the beginning of February? Okay, and it's now what? The middle of January. So almost a year from now. <laughs> I forget. Uh, remember that? Remember, well, maybe you don't remember. But there was a big storm and it was like, and all the airports uh, closed down. And Kathy and I had tickets. <clears throat> and we made it to the airport. I've told the story a few times, you know, and we changed our season. <laughs> you know, and all we, all we had to do is be at the right place at the right time. And we just sat down and we didn't give up. Good point. Cause they were, everything said, give up, give up. They even said, we'll give you money. If you don't show up, you, you can do it some other time. We didn't give up. And then we just showed up on time and we sat down and about three hours later, it was summer. <laughs> it was palm trees and 80 degrees 
right? <clears throat> All right. So we had to change our position. Now, now, in the natural, it's a literal position. In the spiritual, it's a spiritual position. You can change. Uh, it, it requires making a change in or to yourself. All right? doesn't mean you have to relocate. But there has to be a transformation. And in doing that, you can change the season. And I've seen this in my own life. I've seen it in other people where they decide, you know what? I'm tired of being dry. I'm going to go to the well. Yeah. <laughs> I was just somebody that uh, <clears throat> we were praying. It was a bunch of us praying, and we were. It was a good prayer meeting. And, and one pastor, uh, he said, "Wow!" After the prayer meeting, he says, "He says sometimes you don't realize how dry you are until you get around people who are wet." <laughs> you know, later, me and this other pastor was talking about what he said because he's a friend of both. He's a mutual friend. We were like, "You just have to stay wet." We knew <laughs> it's really not that hard. Just stay wet. <clears throat> Listen, I got to get to this verse. I know I'm going over it. Romans 13, 11 through 14 says, do this knowing the time that now it's high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry. And drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fill its lust. It's high time to awake out of sleep. In the New Living Translation, it says this way. It says, this is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when it was when we first believed. Now is the time. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, uh, for, for the scripture says, In an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. And then it translates it or it applies it. It says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. When are these things to come to pass? Now. When is your season supposed to change? Now. It's always now. And God's just waiting for you to say, yeah, it's now for me. Grab hold of it. Put your spiritual life in gear. Hit the gas pedal and accelerate into the kingdom, of, into the things of the kingdom. Uh, so the three things <clears throat> to accelerate God's kingdom in your life. You have to believe that it's possible. You have to accept that it's actually your responsibility. And a lot of it falls unto you. Now, if there's any measure that is not your responsibility, then you trust God. And you trust others, but accept the responsibility is yours and know that it's time. It's time to do it. Next week, we'll get into some specific, some actual practical things that we can uh, do in our lives. Bill has some announcements.